All right, uh, good morning, church. It's great to be with you guys this morning. My name's Kevin Reichley. I'm one of the elders here at Wayside. And this morning, uh, we're going to be in Acts. And I'm really excited to continue to preach from the book of Acts. It's really a privilege. And today, we're going to unpack this really interesting passage where Philip is going to engage, we just read this, he's going to engage with this really unlikely person in this very unlikely place. Um, So if you would, grab your Bible or your Bible app. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Uh, But just a quick recap to catch anybody up uh, over the past few weeks when we've been in, well, well, past few months, I guess, when we've been in Acts. But the church has started, the good news of Jesus is starting to spread across the region albeit in the midst of uh, a bunch of resistance and persecution. And we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. Um, We also saw Stephen and Philip. They they were chosen as part of seven men who were um, to help the disciples serve the Hellenistic Jews, uh, widows. And then we read about Stephen doing signs and wonders among the people. And that prompted the Jewish leadership to, to seize him, bring him before the council, and uh, then Stephen, I don't know if you guys remember this, but he does this beautiful job of just recounting God's faithfulness over the generations. And essentially, he accuses the leaders of, of killing Jesus. So they end up stoning uh, Stephen to death. He's the first martyr that we see. And then Saul approved of this. We also saw that Saul approved of this. And the followers of Jesus were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And that those who stayed were put in prison by Paul or Saul at this time, but Paul. Um, But then Philip then proclaims Christ in Samaria to many people, and they come to faith in Jesus. That's a beautiful picture. But the disciples then return to Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel to many villages in Samaria uh, on the way back, and that's where we pick up the story today, okay? So a couple weeks ago, Chris did a great job with his sermon, just sharing about, in his sermon, he shared about a a short-term mission trip he took to to Frankfurt and some of the roadblocks and some of the hindrances that he encountered before he saw some, some of the fruit from that trip. And I was blessed enough to be on that trip as well with him, but, but me and Daniel uh, got paired up and we actually went into another refugee camp that was north of Frankfurt, north of the city. And it was, um, it was there that I met uh, Hussam. I met a, a man named Hussam, and I think we have a picture of me and Hussam. There's me and Hussam. And Hussam is a Muslim uh, from Syria who's living in a refugee home in Bad Homburg, Germany, north of Frankfurt. Bad Homburg. Doesn't that just sound like a really tough place, rough? But it's actually pretty nice. Um, It's actually pretty nice. But Daniel and I nervously entered uh, this refugee camp on a Monday afternoon. On a Monday afternoon. We didn't know how to engage, uh, who who we would see when we got there, how we would be received uh, essentially, we were strangers in a strange land at this point. We didn't know where these people were from. We didn't know if they spoke English. We didn't know if they were friendly. We didn't know what beliefs that they held. But over the course of the week, we got to know a lot of those refugees, either through broken English, through translators, or simply playing soccer with them. So we got to know a lot of them. And, uh, but Hussam, Hussam was, uh, wasn't one of the vocal refugees. He was actually very introverted, but I felt God's spirit sending me to engage with this man named Hussam. And I want to just read a few excerpts. So when I got back from Frankfurt, um, I I typed out this recap email to a lot of people that were praying while we were over there. And I just want to read a few of the excerpts from that that email that I sent out. So this is from 
uh, my Tuesday recap. So we went into the camp on Monday. This is from my Tuesday recap. It says this. It says, finally, I missed an opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with Hussam, a Muslim from Syria, whom I wanted to try to invest in at some point during the day. So we got on the train home that night, the, the group that we were with. We got on the train home that night and we prayed. We prayed that I would get one-on-one time with Hussam to share the gospel with him. So here's an excerpt from, from my Wednesday recap, so the next day. So after we prayed Tuesday night, this is from Wednesday. One of the first people I saw was Hussam, who was cooking his meal to break his fast in the community kitchen. He immediately invited me back to his room and made me some tea. His roommate Vachi is a Christian, and he knew I was a Christian, so he pulled out a movie about the life of Christ and put it on his computer. It was in Arabic, but I started explaining what was going on in the movie. I also pulled out an Arabic Bible, and we started reading passages from John, Romans, and Acts together. I pointed to Jesus as the true and only way to be in perfect relationship with Allah. Hussam was open to hearing the good news. He brought in some food, and we ate it to break his daily fast. I was very grateful to him for his hospitality. I prayed for Hussam that night that he would come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I wrote out the sinner's prayer for him for a time when he was really ready to give his life for Christ. And we spent almost three hours together that night, and I felt the Lord moving. Okay, so that was from Wednesday. On Thursday, I ended up riding bikes with Hussam to go get his haircut, which was really cool. And then we were leaving on that final night. Uh, when we were leaving, he walked our, our group um, to the train station, and we all said a, a tearful goodbye. I think we actually, yeah, so here's, here's the last night at the train station when we're all saying goodbye. Hussam's on the right there. Um, but the following Monday, uh, yeah, I'll always remember that night, that, but the following Monday I got an email with this update from the long-term team. So there's a long-term team there that, you know, you engage with these, these folks, these refugees, and then uh, we're leaving, but you can hand them off to a long-term team there that can help kind of shepherd them or answer questions that they have. So I got this email from a group called E3 that's on the ground in Frankfurt. It says, also, also I wanted to let the team know that some of their contacts came to the lunch on Saturday. Hussam, a Syrian guy visited by Daniel, Kevin, Claire, and Jamie, came and ate with us. He showed us the email addresses of this group and the sinner's prayer that they wrote out for him. Rick from E3 visited with him at length, speaking some German to communicate with him more clearly. So, um, man, I really remember getting that email, just like the joy that I had when I got that update. Um, And I've since lost touch with Hussam, but I still pray uh, that he would come to know Jesus, that everyone in that camp would come to know Jesus. Um, But I got to tell you this, for every Hussam, the story I just told you, there's so many times when I felt that God's Spirit nudging me, nudging me towards somebody, um, and I simply just chose to ignore it. Um, just the other day, just the other day, I was on a call with a coworker, and he mentioned that he went to school at, at Incarnate Word, but he wasn't religious anymore. And I felt the Spirit in that moment saying, man, you need to, you need to engage with that, and I didn't. I didn't. Instead of being sensitive and obedient to the Spirit, I just kept going because I had to get to another meeting. Um, And then sometimes rather than ignoring the nudge, I don't even spend time sitting and asking God's spirit, hey, hey, who do you have for me today? What opportunities do you have for me to engage and share Jesus with others? And I think we can all relate to this. Um, We get into our daily routines that don't have any extra time to sit and be still and listen for the Holy Spirit to talk to us. 
um, or to prompt us to send the, us to towards somebody. Um, we're running late, so we skip something, just like I talked about in my example. Or we rush ahead, right? We rush ahead into, a, into an opportunity, but we haven't sat and, and waited for the Spirit to really work in us or to give us the conviction or the things to say. Maybe we don't even think of ourselves as witnesses for Christ, or maybe we don't think we know enough about the Bible, or maybe we don't want to engage in hard questions when we get into those conversations with people that aren't believers. And these all, these all resonate with me. Um, but please hear this, please hear this. God calls us all to be his witnesses. Now, to witness, it may be a, a word you don't hear very often, but to witness simply means to openly declare what we've seen, what we know, or what we've experienced from a personal perspective. Okay? To openly declare what we've seen, know, or have experienced from a personal perspective. And we saw this, uh, we, we keep going back to this verse, uh, Acts 1a, it's kind of the anchor verse for all of Acts, but we see this, we see God's command to be witnesses. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here's what I want us to anchor on this morning. We're all called to be witnesses for Christ. If we have a personal relationship with Jesus and we have a knowledge of him that is worthy to be shared. And to be a, a Christian, to be a Christian is to be a witness for Christ. So we want to be effective witnesses. And ultimately this requires us to have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit like we just saw in, in Acts 1.8. But as we see in the passage today, we also have a very, very important role to play. We have to be sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit. And if we are, we're going to talk about these three things. If we're sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit, then we'll know where to go, is the first, who to reach, and how to share Christ with them. Okay, so where, who, and how is what we're going to be talking about today. So first, if we see that we are sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit, then we will know where Christ is sending us. In verse 26, we read this. It's at the very beginning of our passage. It said, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Okay, so we want to take a look at this. The disciples had just returned from a very successful revival in Samaria. And now Philip is called to go 60 miles southwest of Jerusalem to a deserted road that's very infrequently traveled. Okay, so I, I can imagine what I'm thinking at this point, right? It's why do you want me to go there? I just did an amazing job in Samaria, and where you're sending me, there's, there's no one there. Why are you telling me to go there? Uh, but that's not what Philip said. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is a 60 miles, right? So it's not like getting in a car and driving for an hour. It's actually a few days. But what we see is, is Philip immediately in verse 27, he says, and he rose and he went. He rose and he went. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't make any excuses. I can imagine what I would be thinking, like I said, asking questions. Why, why, why is that? Why would I go to that place? Um, we just did this amazing thing in Samaria to a bunch of people. You're sending me down there. It, nobody, nobody's there. But he goes. He goes. He rose and he went. And, and why did he go? Uh, because Philip had experienced Jesus, and he knew that he was worthy to be shared anywhere that he was sent. Okay? We see other examples in the Bible of, of this trusting and this going. We see Abraham, if you remember all the way back in Genesis. Abraham 
leaving his country and his family, going to a land that God would show him. We see Moses going back to Egypt to bring God's people out. But what about Jonah? What about Jonah? You guys remember Jonah? God told him to go uh, to Nineveh, and he went the opposite direction. He said, I'm not going that way. I don't like those people. Uh, but God was really gracious, and he gave him a second chance. He, after three days in a whale's belly, uh, he was obedient, and many came to faith in God after that, right? So he gave him a second chance. And, and you know what? The story of Jonah actually got me in my head thinking about the second chance that I got with Hussam that I talked about. I missed that first opportunity, but God was gracious to give me a second opportunity. Uh, and just like, uh, just like Jonah, I took it. And um, Philip, you know, just like we see, Philip and these men, if we're sensitive, sensitive and we're obedient to God's Spirit, then we'll know where Christ is sending us. At the end of 2011, Uh, Some of you guys know this story. Amanda and I were prayerfully considering uh, possibly moving to be closer to our church community and our friends. Uh, And this was a really hard decision for us. We had settled in this home that we were moving from as newlyweds. We had brought Addie home from the hospital to to this home. We were good friends with our neighbors. We loved the community. But we started looking because we felt the Lord possibly leading us to a different home. And... We looked at a lot of houses around Austin. Um, something was always wrong. And, and I, just, I just remember walking into the house on Painted Valley Drive. And I'm not exaggerating here. It was a hard no. Hard no for me. Uh, I just remember it was, it was on the side of a mountain. It needed a lot of work. It was dark, both like physically inside and spiritually. It was dark. Uh, the, neighbor, the neighbors seemed super shady. Uh, <laughs> And I just, I, I couldn't see us living in this house. And like in my mind, I had moved on already. I'd moved on. But Amanda, Amanda felt God sending us to this house. And she had a vision for what it could be. And so she urged me. She said, be open-minded. Let's pray about this. And so we did. And we weathered multiple contingency periods as the Lord guided us to exactly where we were supposed to be. And uh, there haven't been many days where, I'm sorry, <laughs> I knew I was going to lose it at this part, where we haven't seen God's amazing faithfulness following his path for us to Painted Valley Drive. Um, from the shady neighbors <laughs> who are like family to us now to the preschool where we met many friends, um, including the Brummets that led to the start of Wayside, God has honored our sensitivity and our obedience um, to move to Painted Valley Drive. Um, our prayer was for this home to be a place where we could continue to grow and invite people to share the love of Christ that we had experienced. God was intentional to put us in this particular place at this particular time so he could provide many opportunities to be his witnesses, to share the love, the joy, and the peace of Christ that we have so graciously seen. So if we're sensitive and obedient to God's spirit, then we will know where Christ is sending us. And I'm so glad that Amanda was. In our passage, Philip was sent to a desert road in Gaza. Chris and I were sent on a short-term mission trip to Frankfurt. We were sent to Painted Valley Drive. And that doesn't account for all the places, if you guys just think about it, all the places that you're sent on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We're sent to a lot of places. Um, So where does God have you right now? Think about where he has you. He has sent you there. He has sent you that exact spot. Where, Where might God be sending you? Think about the places that you live. Think about the places that you frequent. Think about the places that you have favor. It could be the neighborhood park. 
It could be your job. It could be your school. It could be a coffee shop or the local restaurant that you go to. Or it could be across, across the world. So pray and ask God's Spirit to show you the places that he has you today and also the places he may want to send you as witnesses to share what you have experienced in your relationship with Jesus. Okay, so if we're sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit, then we'll know where Christ is sending us. Next, if we're sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit, then we will know who Christ is sending us to. So in verses 27 and 28, we read this. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So there's a lot going on in just these two short verses. Now, I'm guessing this isn't exactly who Philip would have picked to witness to if he had his choice. So think about this. Philip, like I just talked about earlier, Philip had just come off a revival in Samaria where he preached the gospel to many, many people, and they had come to know the Lord and accepted Christ. And now he's being asked to go witness to one single person on a deserted road. Okay, so let's pull up this next slide. I have this picture in my head. There he is. JT. I know there's some JT fans out here. Um, so I have this picture in my head, right? This is a crazy picture. I have this picture of Justin Timberlake headlining Lollapalooza. He comes off stage. He's, he's killed it. Uh, the crowd's going crazy, and his, his agent pulls him aside, and he says, uh, Hey, Justin, I know uh, tomorrow you're supposed to go play at Madison Square Garden, but uh, a little bit of a change of plans. The mayor of Kerrville called, and he would love for you to come perform for his 50th birthday party. Right? So I booked you on a flight to Texas, JT, it just instead. So, right, this is a crazy scene. It's a crazy scene. Philip had just witnessed to many people and he would come to faith, but now he's being asked to go witness to one single person in the middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. But Philip is sensitive and obedient. Why? Because he knows and he's experienced the love of Christ, and he understands that it's worth sharing with anyone that God's Spirit puts on his heart. Anyone, even if it's one person. And you know what? He knows Jesus did the very same thing. Jesus preached to thousands. And then we see him witnessing to the woman at the well. All right, we saw this in Acts 2 and 3, where 3,000 people came to faith in Acts 2. And then we see witnessing to one lame beggar. Right? This gives us a great picture of what spirit-led witness looks like. And as we read the Gospel of Luke, we, we see there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So I just love, I love that picture. I love that picture of Philip's obedience. Uh, after he's come off this, this preaching to many, God asked him to go to one person in the middle of nowhere. He said, yep, I'm on it. I'm on it. So let's unpack who Philip was asked to witness to on this day. Ethiopians. Ethiopian. They didn't have the best reputation. They were looked down upon as a mean and detestable nation. Ethiopia back then was located in modern-day Sudan in North Africa. He's a court official for the queen in charge of her money. He's riding in a chariot, so we know he's important, at least by trade. We see he's also a eunuch. A eunuch uh, during this time would have been a man that castrated himself as a sign of loyalty and devotion to the monarch. So typically, the people that did that, men that did that, rose up the ranks of power. We also see that, that uh, he was coming from Jerusalem, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah 
And this is really interesting. So Jerusalem is a long journey from Ethiopia, and a scroll of Isaiah would have been really expensive back in the day. So we know that this guy's truly seeking God. Uh, now, what would he have encountered in Jerusalem when he went? Well, first, he's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. So he wouldn't have been allowed to enter the inner courts of the temple. But you, this is really interesting. You have to wonder if he was even allowed to enter the outer courts of the temple. Deuteronomy 23.1 says that no eunuch may enter the congregation of God. Okay, so no eunuch may enter the congregation of God. So you have to wonder what this guy is thinking uh, as he's riding back from Jerusalem, especially if he's gotten to Isaiah 56. So we're going to pull up this. So imagine this guy reading, right? He's just gone to Jerusalem. He's been excluded from the inner courts, may have been excluded from the outer courts, but he's reading Isaiah 56 that says this, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So he's reading about God and he's seeking to follow him, but he's probably really confused, right? He's just been excluded from the inner courts at least, maybe the outer courts at the temple in Jerusalem, but he's reading this passage in Isaiah. So this man has to be confused. He has to still be searching for answers that he didn't really get clarity in Jerusalem. Um, So this is who Philip encounters on the deserted road. So this guy is a different race. This guy has a different set of beliefs. This guy has a different status. This guy has a different culture. And if we're honest, think about those things, race, set of beliefs, status, culture. If we're honest, one or more of those characteristics keep us from being a witness for Christ when we see them in others. But the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, not just those who feel familiar or feel comfortable. Now, some of you may have heard the story of Jim Elliott. He's an American missionary. I think we have a picture of him and his wife. Yep, there's Jim Elliott on the right and his wife Elizabeth on the left. Uh, So in the summer of 1950, Jim felt God's Spirit sending him to Ecuador, and specifically to the Waodani people, the Waodani people. Now, the Waodani tribe was a group of indigenous people considered very violent and very dangerous to outsiders. They were actually called Alcas, Alcas, which is a word that means savages. Okay, so shortly after he got married to Elizabeth, and shortly after they had a child, Uh, They were actually living in the village of the Kichiwas, which was another Indian tribe. They had a child while they were living there. Jim and a small group, four other missionaries, began to prepare to go and witness to the Wa'odani tribe, okay, the the savages. They ended up making contact with them in 1955, and they had a few promising exchanges. The the Wa'odani's were very intrigued by the plane that they flew in on. Uh, so they, they kept calling it a, a, a bee or something like that. So they were really intrigued by that. They, they actually flew one of the wild donnies around in the plane. And so things seemed to be going okay. But Elliot and his team of four other missionaries would be killed in early 1956 by a group of ten wild donny warriors. Now, was Jim's life wasted? Did God send them to the wrong people? No, absolutely not. Before Jim ever met up with the Waodani tribe, many Kichiwas came to faith in Jesus, the tribe that he was living with before he made contact with the Waodanis. And then two years, get this, two years later, Jim, after Jim was killed, his wife and his daughter moved into the Waodani village. Many Waodanis became Christians, and they're now a friendly tribe. 
Um, to this day, missionaries, including the pilot, who was one of the, the missionaries there, uh, that was killed, the pilot's son and his family actually still live with the Wadanis to this day. And there's a great movie called Into the Spear, Into the Spear that, that tells this amazing story. It's worth watching. Now, I'm sure that as, as Jim Elliott decided to become a missionary, his initial list didn't have this, this dangerous jungle tribe on it. But he was sensitive and he was obedient when God's Spirit put these people on his heart. And this is who God sent him to, and God used him to bring many lost people to saving faith. And this story is, is super inspirational for, for us, too, as we think about being effective witnesses for Christ. So as an application, spend some time each morning asking God's Spirit to send you to someone, sh- to show you who might need an encouraging word. If you get a text message from me, it's usually in the morning when I'm asking who might need to be encouraged or know that I'm praying for them. And Ben does this really well also. Um, ask the Holy Spirit who he's calling you to share the gospel with. And once he puts someone in your heart, be obedient. Be obedient to follow through with that. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. God's Spirit can lead us to people that reject us, that reject the gospel, and or people among whom we may never, ever see fruit from, uh, at least not in this life. And that's a sobering reality uh, to being Christian witnesses. But we can't let that deter us because God has called us to be his witnesses. Not to convert people, because only God can change hearts. We know and have experienced the love of Christ that's worthy to be shared with others. And that means we need to be sensitive and obedient to the people he has sent us to. All right, so we've done the where and the who. Now we need to get to the, to the how. If we're sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit, we will know where and who God is sending us to. Finally, if we're sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit, we'll know how to share Christ with others. So after God's Spirit tells Philip to go join this chariot, he says, go join this chariot. In verse 29, Philip runs up and he hears him reading Isaiah. So it's customary for people back then to read Scripture out loud. But now what? That's the question, right? Now what? As witnesses for Christ, this is, this is always the hardest part for us. How do, you, how do you start the conversation? How do you engage with someone you might not know that well? I remember back in Frankfurt, we simply asked if they knew where the train station was. Uh, we didn't pre-plan that. It's spur of the moment thing. In retrospect, not the best conversation starter. Uh, but that got the ball rolling. It got the ball rolling. And when Jesus met the woman at the well... You guys remember, he simply asked if, if uh, she would get him a drink of water. We tend to overcomplicate that initial engagement, and sometimes we use that as an excuse not to engage at all. But some of the best conversations that I've ever had started off with a simple question. So we can't let that stop us. Here we see Philip simply asking if the Ethiopian understands what he's reading, and that starts this tremendous dialogue. They read Isaiah 53 together. And that includes this amazing messianic prophecy. Uh, and from there, Philip just shares the gospel. He shares Jesus with this man. And, and as John preached last week, this should lead us to this joyful response. And so that's all I imagine when I, when I see this picture in the Bible. I can only imagine the joy that this man had as Philip shared the story of Jesus and his personal testimony with him. So again, after he left Jerusalem with more questions... Uh, This had to be exactly what this man was looking for. And Philip probably rejoiced with this man as they read Isaiah 56 together, like we read earlier, and about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection meant the curtain had been torn 
and that everyone had access to God through faith in him. So this man wouldn't be rejected from any inner courts. He wouldn't be rejected from any outer courts if his life was found in Jesus. And so I just, that, that is such an amazing scene for me to think about. Friends, sometimes it's difficult to be a witness for Christ, even if we know the people that we're sharing with. It's even more daunting when we don't. However, if we're sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit, He will show us how. And we have to trust no matter how that conversation goes that God will use it for His perfect purposes. And now I will admit there have been times when I felt God's Spirit sending me to someone that I ended up sharing the Gospel with that flat out yelled at me and told me they didn't want to hear it. Or sometimes they politely say, uh, they're not interested. They're not interested. Does that mean that I heard wrong? Does that mean I wasn't supposed to go talk to that person about Jesus? No, of course not. But in my human flesh, these moments can deter me from being obedient in the future, if I'm being honest. The book of Acts in this story tells us it's our role as Christians to be witnesses for Christ regardless of how we are received. Uh, so there's this video of Penn, a Gillette, from Penn and Teller. It's this great magic act in Vegas. Has, has anyone seen Penn and Teller before? You have? Okay. A few people have seen Penn and Teller. Um, I think we have a picture. Yeah, so Penn is the guy, the tall guy on the left. And uh, Penn is this outspoken atheist. And he took this time to record a video about 10 years ago. And I would encourage all of you guys to, to go watch this. Just, just Google or put on YouTube uh, Penn Gillette Bible, Penn Gillette Bible, and he'll pull up this five-minute video um, he took to, to record about a man who approached him during a fan meetup after a particular show that they had. Now, the man had come the night before, but he felt led to come back this particular night to engage with Penn. So he started, you know, again, how do you start the conversation? He started by complimenting, complimenting the show as Penn would say, in a very genuine and kind way. Uh, The man then handed him a Bible that had a personal note written in it, and he would go on, right after he handed him the Bible, he said, look, I'm not crazy. I'm I'm a businessman, I'm not crazy, because, you know, Penn might have thought he was crazy for handing him the Bible, but but Penn believed him. Penn believed him, because this guy was just genuine and kind. And this particular exchange really had this really profound impact on Penn, and in the video... He would go on to say that he respected people with different beliefs that proselytized. Now, to proselytize simply means to try to convert someone from one religion to another. So he, Penn would say, I respect people that proselytize. And he would go on to say this. this. This quote really got me. He would go on to say it this way. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So, wow, that's a really convicting quote. So think about this, friends. Because we know and have experienced the love of Jesus Christ, we believe everlasting life is possible. We have the cure for any sickness or disease that exists. We have the joy that can overshadow any sadness. We have a peace that overpowers all anxiety. Penn describes it as an oncoming truck. 
But hell is a very sobering reality for anyone that doesn't believe in Christ. And that's why we're called to be witnesses for Jesus. Penn would end that video by reiterating multiple times that this was a very, very good man to go out of his way to engage with him like this. Now, I'm sure that this was God's Spirit sending this man to Penn on this particular night and helping him engage with him in this particular way. Now, Penn didn't convert to Christianity and and hasn't to my knowledge, but it's really evident if you watch this video that a seed was planted. And we can pray that God will capture his heart one day. Um, Our charge, just like this man, is to be sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit because we're all called to be witnesses for Christ. So what's the application? First and foremost, we need to be a people that dig into Scripture. We need to be a people that dig into Scripture. As Deuteronomy 11.18 says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So just like Philip did, just like we saw Philip, this will make it easier to point people to Christ, regardless of what they're dealing with. And the good news, the responsibility is shared in the church. It's our job collectively to equip the saints for the work of ministry, including being prepared for effective witness. But it's also on each one of us to prioritize this kind of spiritual growth and development. So we're not alone. Uh, This is a collective growth area for all of us. So once we feel God's Spirit sending us to someone, we need to be bold to engage, trusting the Lord will show us how to share Christ with them. So in closing, friends, if we're sensitive and we're obedient to God's Spirit, sending us to places and people and helping us know how to share Christ, we're going to see fruit. We're going to see fruit from that. Um, you know, just like my encounter with Hussam, uh, as we close our passage, we see the Ethiopian man spotting some water and asking immediately, immediately, can I be baptized? He's excited to demonstrate his new faith immediately. And if you remember back to chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel was to be preached in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria. But get this, really interesting. At this time, the Greeks and the Romans actually thought that Ethiopia was the end of the earth. Was the end of the earth. So, from this passage, we have reason to think the knowledge of Christ was sent into Ethiopia through this encounter with Philip. And that scripture from Psalm 68 was fulfilled. Psalm 68 says this, it said, Nobles will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. So this unusual encounter with this unusual man quite possibly led to the gospel spreading, you know, quote-unquote, to the end of the earth. And as John mentioned last week, we don't see Philip again until chapter 21, which is 20 years later. And he's called Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist. So we can assume he continued to preach the gospel wherever and whoever God sent him to. Philip was a witness for Christ all the days of his life. So sometimes we'll see immediate fruit. Sometimes we'll see immediate, and sometimes we won't. Uh, Or we won't know if there is fruit, but... Just like the man who shared the Bible with Penn that I talked about, we're called to be sensitive and obedient. Friends, please, please hear me one more time. If you have a personal relationship with Christ, you have experienced his love that is worthy to be shared with others, and you are a witness for Christ. We can all be effective witnesses, but we must be sensitive and obedient to God's Spirit. And if we are, we will know where Christ is sending us, 
who Christ is sending us to, and how to share Christ with, with them when we reach them. As we do this, we need to remember Ephesians 3.20 that says we must have faith, believing that God can do more, could do even more than we could ever ask or think or imagine, because he has and he can. So next week, Ben's going to be back. He's going to open up chapter 9. We're going to see the conversion of Saul to Paul, which you guys all know is an amazing story. So that'll be a lot of fun. Let's pray.